Great to be here. Thank you. The invite is um, yeah, it's lovely to see where you are. And uh, it was interesting as just before Luke was saying about nudges for the Holy Spirit, I was sitting there thinking, I think you've got a few things you want to say, Lord, to individuals. Um, I wonder where I, I fit that in. Um, trying to listen to God, and then Luke said, "Well, if you're doing that, um, give it a go." So I've got three categories of people that I think the Lord wants to touch today. And this is before I start the message. So um, I'm just going to share these, and if, if these apply to you. Um, we'll just stick a hand in the air if you want someone to pray for you. If you're too embarrassed, don't. I'm just going to pray over these. And if you want to pray with someone in more depth later, take the chance. So if you've got an inner ear problem, if you've got a problem with the inner ear um, that's causing balance issues at the moment, someone who's really scared about a conversation that they've got to have with someone this week and you're, you're really not looking forward to that, that confrontational conversation. And someone the other way, I sense someone's had a really awkward conversation with their mum in the last week and that's really left you unsettled. Um, so if that's you, I just want to pray for you now. Just, let's just all pray for anyone. If you want to identify, stick a hand in the air. And if you want someone else to pray for you, but you don't have to introvert your hate that, so you just hide, it's fine. Lord Jesus, I want to pray for anybody here with an inner ear problem right now, that you would heal it right now. In Jesus' name, you would bring uh, things to be restored. I pray for those who are facing challenging, confrontational conversations, whether with family or with colleagues or mates. Lord, that um, you would give us the courage to speak the truth in love. And where there's been broken relationship, and if that person has um, had that broken relationship with their mum, that awkward conversation, I pray for reconciliation. And I just sense that we should pray that that reconciliation would give the chance for things that have been left unsaid to be said and resolved. Amen. Brilliant. Um, what I want to talk to you a little bit about today is, is the subject of my book, only because Luke asked me to speak on it. And um, it's, the book's about what I call hollow religion. Uh, some people call that the religious spirit. That's a language which uh, I don't see much of in the Bible, so I didn't use it for the book. Uh, and so I'm going to tell you a little bit of my story of uh, how uh, this has been such a key issue in my life. And then a little bit of what the Bible says on that, and we'll see where we go with that. So I grew up um, in a Christian family. Uh, and going to church every week, uh, giving my life to Jesus every year on uh, in sort of whatever youth camp I was at. Every time I heard the good news about Jesus, I was, I was signing in. First time around, Billy Graham scared me. Uh, not many of you are old enough to have heard Billy Graham. He was a legend. But he, uh, he did the old, um, you may get run over by a bus tonight, and are you going to heaven or not talk? And I was nine and scared. Um, I don't know what that says about my trust of my parents and road safety, but um, I wasn't sure. Um, and my sister was always telling me I was selfish, so I went and gave my life to Jesus then. And then a couple of years later, um, I got my first experience of the Holy Spirit, so I wanted to experience that, so I got, gave my life to Jesus. Then I was about 14, 15, I remember being in church, and uh, 14, 15 year old boys usually deal with a bit of guilt and shame as hormones kick in and, and sort of new aspects of your imagination get going. And I thought that was all awful, so I, I, I gave my life back to Jesus to get forgiven um, again. So, so that kind of gives you a bit of background on me. And then I went off to uni in Newcastle, um, which was great. I spent a little bit of time doing my English degree and a lot of time doing Christian meetings and wasted my three years. Um, and, and in Newcastle, I discovered what some of you may be discovering in York, which is culture shock, of, of a whole bunch of Christians from different backgrounds um, who were experiencing and talking about things that really didn't matter to me. And my list of things that mattered uh, and theirs just, uh, just didn't match at all. And I found myself sort of really lost in this world of arguing and debating and getting intense and stressed and uptight about stuff that right now I, I still don't think really matters. 
And that was a, a, a really difficult time for me as a Christian. I burnt out at the end of my second year, um, and it kind of because all the Christian clutter and all that stuff just sort of swamped me, and all that debating and all that that sort of arguing about what's important and, and stuff like that. And I was being squeezed into a mold that wasn't really me and didn't fit me. Um, but came through that, worked for a charity for a couple of years, and then I ended up through this process. God called me to be a vicar, and so I ended up in Cambridge. Um, which is a beautiful and slightly weird place. They've not been to Cambridge. Yeah, anyone lived in Cambridge? Not many of you. Um, it's kind of like York. It's very pretty. Um, and, and it's full of very intelligent people, just like York. Um, but the thing about Cambridge and being uh, 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 surrounded by people changing vicars is, again, this culture shock, is that everyone wanted to debate and argue and get stressed about the things that um, really I struggle with. Uh, and, and I found this world of debate and arguing uh, really quite challenging because uh, I remember saying when I was being selected to be a church leader vicar, I, I spent a year abroad before I went off to college, and I said to my uh, some sort of senior vicar bloke um, who was asking me questions about my spiritual life, I said, well, he said, why do you want to go abroad for a year before you train? So I just want to get back to knowing Jesus without all the other clutter and bits and pieces. And he genuinely said to me, isn't that what it's all about? And I, to this day, I'm still scared that he wasn't joking that actually he thought all the bits and pieces around the edge was what mattered. And for me, I was like, just give me Jesus and the rest. Just kind of, I want to get clear clear my head of it. So basically, through Cambridge, um, I, I would confess that I took my eye off the ball completely. And my Christian life, uh, I potted along. And then I went into being a curate in, in, in London. And that was, um, that was a sort of one of the, the toughest times for me. Because I was in a big church and I was doing the upfront preaching and I was spending all week sorting out rotors, uh, and that's what curators do in big churches. It's, um, wouldn't advise it. And um, and inwardly, I was dying because I was trying to fit into a mould of what the Christian life should look like, but I lost sight of all the fun stuff. I, I was not listening to God to speak for other people. I wasn't believing that people would get saved when they heard about Jesus. I wasn't praying for people to be healed because I was too full of the arguments about what if they don't get healed and the pastoral implications and the issues around me now. All the fun stuff about Christianity, I kind of dropped because I was too busy about dealing with all the other issues and the questions and the concerns and other people's opinions. And I was dying on the inside. But I was looking lovely and good and professional on the outside. And um, interestingly, uh, years later I found this out. I, before I went off to be uh, ordained, I used to go down, my aunt used to run a school down on the south coast of Eastbourne. Um, Eastbourne's a great place. Um, it's not the most dynamic, culturally cutting place. Um, and the average age of this congregation was well over 65. But I used to go down and preach there because my aunt's school would take a service once a year and they got me into preach. And all the old ladies would shake my hand on the way out and they all said, so refreshing. Which I was worried about what that meant for their vicar, but they, they all thanked me for being refreshing. And then I went back after I got ordained and been to Cambridge for three years. And they went, oh, that was interesting, thank you. And my uncle told me a few years later, he said, oh yeah, a lot of the old ladies, they spoke to me and said, what happened to him? Because he became boring, he became grey and dull like all the others. And that's what happened. Um, you can decide today whether that's still the case or not. But, um, <laughs> God in his kindness and his grace uh, doesn't like to leave us in a place where we are struggling and, and where we are dying on the inside. It's never his agenda. His agenda is for every one of us to be full of life, to be flourishing. 
to be um, pressing on to more of his goodness and his greatness and seeing him work. And so he took me uh, over, often he needs to take us out of our norm into somewhere different. And I ended up on a plane over to the States to a conference, which sounds a bit cliche, but just happened to be the way it happened. And on this conference, it was an amazing time, but the key moment was um, a prayer time where we were sort of siphoned off. Uh, you know, you normally you respond at the end, I don't know what your experience of churches, but normally most people respond uh, when you're feeling really emotional. Luke said today, it's the end of the talk when you toast emotion, which I think means totally emotional, is that right? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Fantastic. I'm over 40, I haven't a clue what it's about. Totes emotion. Um, and, and I remember getting to the end of this talk and that was good, but I'm not going to go forward for ministry. And then I thought, oh, hang it, I've spent 700 quid on a flight and I've only got three evenings. So I went off to this prayer time feeling very sort of fine. And this young couple, they were, uh, I was in my late 20s, they were in the mid early 20s. We sat down and they said, okay, we're just going to ask the Lord what's blocking your relationship with him. It's like, well, that sounds interesting, you know. And immediately, as soon as they prayed, she just said this thing, you picked up a religious spirit when you were training for ministry. And I was like, yeah, you're right. That's absolutely, um, that's what happened. It sort of totally landed and I would totally own the fact that I had lost sight of what mattered. I had got consumed by a subculture of Christian faith that um, I'd lost sight of that connection with Jesus. I'd lost expectation of him at work. And so I had to take responsibility for that and say, okay, well, I'm really sorry. And that simple choice, that simple step that night, we prayed and I turned back to God and I asked his forgiveness and I said, Lord, fill me with the Holy Spirit afresh. It was, again, another cliche, it was just a total turnaround. My wife described me as a new husband when I went home, and ministry has never been the same since. As suddenly, I saw things differently. Suddenly, the hope came back. Suddenly, the expectation that God was still alive came back. Suddenly, my faith became about how can I love people? How can I see the God, kingdom of God? How can I see the, the power of God work in people's lives? How can I see the fun stuff of Christianity rather than all the clutter? So that's the kind of background to what happened to me. How can I see it? That clarifying moment. The thing is, I don't know if you noticed this, but when you have a big, life-defining, key-changing moment, and you see something afresh, you then see your old patterns around everyone that you see. We've just been as a church going through Acts, and Paul has this incredible, life-changing moment in chapter um, chapter 8 or 9, I think it's 8, no, it's not, it's nine. Uh, where he's on the way to Damascus and there's shine light from heaven and he turns around and um, suddenly goes from persecuting Christians to becoming the apostles of the Gentiles. And he has this complete change. And he then, for the rest of the book, every time he speaks, he's telling his story of what's happened to him and how others can make the same transition. This is what I found, was that that deep desire within me to pursue Jesus and not hollow religion was what it was triggering off in so many people around me. Now, I, I don't know who you hang out with, I don't know who you spend time with, or what those people, the questions they're asking. I live this rarefied thing of living in church leader land, okay? And there's more hollow religion amongst church leaders, probably, than in, um, amongst your mates or your family and friends. But I suddenly started seeing the reality of what I'd just been set free from in those around me. And they were saying, yeah, we want that breakthrough. They were saying people want Jesus, but they don't want religion. Because that's one of the kind of big changes we've seen in the last 20 years. The world 
was recognised. It does not like institutional religion, but Jesus is forever attractive because he is awesome and wonderful and the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So they were asking the questions, how, how do we shift? And if we found if you started talking about the religious spirit, people have a sort of heart connection with that, but their head was going, sorry, I don't get it. So I started saying, God, what does the Bible say about this? What does it have to say about this whole thing of hollow religion? This experience, this encounter I've had, does it play out in the Bible? Or is it just a sort of nice experience I've had? Around that time, um, one of our other leaders in my church had a dream. And in this dream, um, we're in a house, uh, and the house was beginning to be filled with this green smoke. And it was putting everyone to death. And was just this, inhaling this toxic waste uh, smoke, and it was basically uh, sending us to sleep and then to death. And then we woke up and realised what was happening, and I sort of ran out of the house and coughed our guts out and kind of <coughs> got everything out of the system. And then we're like, we've got to get back in and help the others wake up. And as we went around and tried to wake them up, they're like, oh, no, I'm fine. Or some were like, wow, what's going on? So we started saying, God. What is going on with religion? Give us more understanding. People started saying to us, we get this bit that there's something to do with religion that's not okay, and it's different from Jesus, but we, we need some understanding of scripture. So I read through the Bible every year. I try and read it through once a year. Um, I love, I just love, passionately love it, and I love taking notes, and I love linking things together. And so that year, I just said, God, can you show me? Show me more about religion. Give me some material on this. And so as I read through the Bible, God began to show me more and more, right from the beginning from Genesis, right from Genesis 3, when the, the, the snake lies to Adam and Eve to cause them to turn away from God, <coughs> right through, there's this, uh, this interplay between the real life, the good stuff, the kingdom of God, Jesus, God at work, and people's forms of hollow religion. And this is the way I want to explain it today. Thanks, man. Before we look at a specific passage, um, I could have chosen any of them. Uh, do you remember at school, I don't know if this happened in your school, my school, every now and then, uh, the teacher would go out of the classroom. Head teachers always were the worst, weren't they? They'd always have important big things to do. And the teacher would go out of the classroom, and uh, you basically had a, two sets of people in the room at that moment. There were those who were in great party time. The teacher's out, let's play, let's chat. Let's, I mean, obviously the teacher would always set us work to do whilst they're out of the classroom. And it would just turn into a riot, or, you know, there'd be stuff going around, chat, give up, you know, kind of enjoy the party zone. And then there'd be the other category of people who would say, no, teacher's told us what work to do. I've got exams to pass. Teacher might come back at any point, it must be good, and I must keep working. Yeah, it's that a scenario that some of you have experienced? Yeah. Some of you probably went to good schools where the teachers stayed in the classroom, um, which is great. Maybe it's against the law now. But. So, um, so teacher goes out, and then these two categories. Those two groups of people don't always get on brilliantly, do they? The, the guys who are having a party and fun and like whatever, uh, they tend to think the nerds are still working a bit sad and kind of laugh at them, and that's always kind of what accentuates the problem. And then the sensible folk, the nerds, who are going, okay, um, Teachers coming back, we must be good, we must behave and behave ourselves properly. They tend to tut 
at the, um, at the guys who are mucking around and say, shush, shush, be quiet, I've got work to do, I want to pass my exams. Yeah, is that a scenario some of you are familiar with? Brilliant. Bear that in mind as you turn in your Bible to Colossians chapter 3. Sorry, Colossians chapter 2. Now we're just going to have a little look at this passage in Colossians 2. Colossians chapter 2, and I'm going to start at verse 16. Colossians is middle of the New Testament, one of Paul's letters. So verse 16. Therefore do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person goes into great detail about what they've seen. They're puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They've lost connection with the head, from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows, as God causes it to grow. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. So what's going on there? Paul writing to Colossians, they've got a major problem with religion in their community. This, and the problem with religion in their community is all the self-righteous religious folk are tutting at everybody else. And these new believers have come to know Jesus and they're excited about what he's done and they're excited about extending the good news of what he's done and telling people about him and they're getting tutted at because they're not keeping the right festivals, they're not eating the right food, they're not doing all the outward signs of the Christian faith. And they're at this tension point of this tutting, because the tutting actually sounds quite spiritual, because they explain all the other stuff in spiritual terms, about the festivals and the, the various things, and the, the recognising of seeing angels and all that sort of stuff. But Paul nails it in verse 19. He says simply, they have lost connection with the head. So as I, I researched the whole background of what is going on with religion, why is God stirring up people all over the place to want Jesus, to want to know him, want to be part of what he's doing, and yet rejecting institutional religion? What's going on there? What's going on with this whole sense of reaction to judgmentalism, reaction to control? What I realise is, if you follow this through, right through the Bible, from Genesis 3 right through to the end, and religion occurs when we have lost connection with the head. Bono put it... Uh, probably most simply, he said, religion is what happens when God leaves the building and we carry on regardless. Religion is all the stuff we do, all the Christian crap we do, when we don't actually do it in relationship with God. In John 15, Jesus says this, I am the vine, you are the branches. Unless you stay connected and rooted in me, you'll bear no fruit. And so I look back over my life and the various points, and the reason I told you my story, the ups and downs, and the, the, the good bits and the bad bits, there were lots of times when I was one of those kids who wanted just to behave myself in case the teacher came back and do it right. 
and I'd be tutting at those who weren't really uh, being naughty, tutting at those who were misbehaving, feeling self-righteous, putting all my effort into somehow trying to please God in case he turned up. But I'd lost connection with the head. And, and I mean, there, I don't know if you've noticed, but um, we preachers, we like sound bites, and the religion is dot 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 sound bites, a great way. You can almost say anything after that. Uh, if you put, put, pleases the crowd and whatever they don't really like you say religion is that and then they go oh yeah yeah but religion is right through is is everything we do when we don't believe that we're connected to god and and this language religious spirit which i don't use very much because it there's nothing referring to the religious spirit um, directly in scripture recognizes that there is a spiritual entity to this that there is evil there is darkness in the world that's trying to get our eyes off jesus and tries to do anything it can to make us feel like we're distant from God. So I want you just very briefly, just to turn to the person next to you, if you're a sort of chat person or not, I think about it on your own. What are the ways in which you uh, believe that you're distant from God? What causes you to believe that you and God are separated? Have a minute to think of that one through. I love the Bono quote because it captures a half of it, but the problem with that quote is it implies that God leaves the building. And the amazing truth is he never does. He never leaves us or forsakes us. He says, I'm with you always. Every perception we have that I'm getting on trying to please God on my own to somehow, when he comes back, he'll be pleased with me is an assumption that he's not with us always. But Jesus says, I'm sending my Holy Spirit in you to be with you. In Hebrews it says, uh, let's boldly approach the throne of grace because we're always welcome. So my life has, ever since that time has been about how do I continually, daily demolish the lie that I'm distant from God? Because that, that perspective, that feeling is just an emotional feeling. It's not the truth. Yeah. And we need to live our lives fully on the truth, not on our feelings. So... How do we deal with religion? We deal with religion very simply, not by railing against it and getting angry about it. Leave that to me and the book. Um, let, uh, let me, I mean, we can always see someone else's religion. We can always see that the, the church down the road is more religious than us, or that lot over there. Whatever we don't like, we can label it as religion. I mean, it, it mentioned, we mentioned Escape and Pray earlier. We went there to Lithuania. God, in his kindness, took us to Lithuania and plonked us to connect with a bunch of Catholic young adults. And their churches were beautiful, but they were full of all the stuff that in my head, in my imagination of Apollo religion, and lots of statues and art, and all the stuff that I historically have been allergic to. And then we found this incredible faith, this incredible love, this incredible passion for Jesus amongst them. And it was really fun because when they worshipped, they were totally in love with them. And when we prayed for them and prophesied over them, there was this deep, incredible faith and love. And their community was so healthy. And then they were talking about stuff like, you know, they crossed themselves. And they did rosaries. And they loved icons. And there was a bunch of stuff that's totally alien to me that I would have dismissed as holy religion. But it was part of them connecting with God. And they were utterly wanting to know Jesus. 
So we don't demolish religion by attacking other forms, other forms of worship, other ways of doing it. Because whatever it is that enables us to connect with God and believe the lie that we're close to, believe the truth that he is close to us, that's what's essential. So we demolish religion by starting with ourselves and saying, okay, I need to daily walk in the truth that I'm loved. I thought I'd just share with you how that works for me and then we'll lead into time some worship so we can respond to God personally and deal with this. For me, engaging with God and demolishing that lie has come down to engaging consistently with God as Father, Son and Holy Spirit. So I pray the Lord's Prayer every day. I have done, you remember that? The, um, the Archbishop of Canterbury's video that came out several years ago, the Thy Kingdom Come one, that got controversy over it, which is great. Um, and it kind of made me think, wow, if, this is, if the media are going to get such a fuss over something, like a cinema's going to ban this video, it must be really good. And I thought, it's just the Lord's Prayer. And then I started, well, I'm kind of taking the Lord's Prayer more seriously. Probably as an Anglican, I should have done that a bit earlier. But, um, <laughs> and so I've started praying through it daily. Now, the only time I pray through it fast is on church on Sundays when I have to. I very rarely get beyond a couple of lines because I just start by saying, Father. And then I just dwell until I know in my heart that I'm talking to God as Father. Now, if I had longer, I'd tell you my story of my dad died when I was 27, how I, God spoke to me that day and said, I've become, today I've become your father. What father means to me, what I've had to clear out, wrong views of father, and embrace as true views of father. But I just root myself back in that truth that God is a loving father, and he is for me, and he loves me, and he's pulling me up into who I'm meant to be. And yes, he disciplines me, and yes, he challenges me, because he's passionate about my maturity. But if I start heading off into prayer in a non-relational, non-connected way, and not talking to God as Father, just as a sort of list-ticking exercise, I have to stop and start again, and just wait until I engage with him as Father. Same with Jesus, my older brother. I spend a lot of time meditating on the fact that he's the one who's just one step before me. When I said earlier about the school class, those who were um, mucking around, uh, and those who were always being nerds. I was probably more on the nerd side of things. Uh, there's probably a reason I ended up living in Cambridge for a little while, being an Anglican vicar. Um, I've got that inner sense of sort of sensible conformity in me. Jesus kind of stirs me in that, because every time I read about him, he's pushing the envelope, he's breaking through, he's radically opening up things, he's challenging the status quo. But I, I love the fact he's my closest friend. I'm engaged with him. Him as that friendship, as that older brother, the one who's one step ahead of me, but also as the saviour because I needed to be saved. And then I, I need to spend time with just encountering God as Holy Spirit. Just saying, Holy Spirit, just come and fill me. One of the exercises I do at the moment, just to daily keep myself uh, rooted in, in living in the kingdom, not in religion, is just to say, Holy Spirit, fill me again. I've got small kids and um, uh, somehow they reset my time clock, so I now regularly wake up quite early in the morning before I have to get up, which is really annoying. And I just spend that time just lying there, like off on the hand on the chest, saying, Holy Spirit, you know when you wake up and you think through all the things you've got that day? Just Holy Spirit, I'm not sure I can do that very well without you, but I need you today. So my, my parting gift to you as we um, head into worship and responding to God is, where is the bit where you need to reconcile with God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Who is it? You, what's, 
What ways have you personally got disconnected from the head and kind of filled your Christian life with clutter? What parts of your Christian life are you doing to please others, not just our relationship with God? Should we stand? I'm going to pray and then we're going to worship. I'm just going to pray us through this in, in three short prayers. You might want to pray all three, you might want to slatch on one. But I just want you to own a way in which today you can say, okay God, I want to reconnect 